0: Please pray with me.' Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father, we ask that you would minister to us now through your word. Give me unction and, and clarity. give me the words to speak, that they may, that your people may benefit and be blessed and grow in the most holy faith. Thank you, Lord, for the pure milk of the word. May it do its sanctifying work. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> All right, um, not time to open our Bibles yet. There's just so much going on here. Um, yes, in preparing for exp- an expositional presentation of a new book, having gotten through some topical material, there's time to prepare. And as it so happens, it's an opportunity to uh, go through some sundry items, some things that may warrant the church's attention but also sometimes you're, you know, you're in ministry for a certain amount of time and you notice, wow, I have never talked about this subject before. Let's talk about this subject. It may seem kind of arbitrary, but the Lord appoints the seasons and, and puts certain things on the heart of man so that he will uh, consider them and consult the Word of God uh, concerning those things. And so the issue concerning tithing and giving and stewardship has come up from a number of of folks and it's something that I've been thinking about and it has a a welcome place, especially in the Reformed tradition. And yet, it is not my desire to limit it to one sermon. I mean, when when have I ever been able to preach something in one sermon? Uh, Usually it takes a few. And so I'm okay with that. But also, I don't want to concentrate on one topic and leave it in isolation. We have to consider the uh, The big picture of those things, and so whenever we talk about tithing and stewardship and what have you, we also want to consider uh, how all of those things point us to the character of God, and so, as it is our custom, if we are going to speak on anything, the logical starting place as Christians is God himself, and so that is what I would like to do today, but I want to cover a, a very important topic, a very important attribute. And uh, of God, and if you want to look at the bulletin, the uh, title of the sermon today is called "Generosity: The Unconsidered Attribute." Now, I doubt that any of us in here doubts that God is generous. We experience His generosity in a multitude of ways, but I think it's one of those teachings about who God is that is often not considered. It's not thought about. It's not talked about. It's not often preached about in a formal setting. It's usually a maybe a subheading or a point to a sermon. But I thought, what if we tried to cover this in earnest? And, and as, I, as I expected when I started researching what the Scriptures had to say about God's generosity, His, his benevolence, uh, there, is, there are a lot of Scriptures that tell of His generosity toward His people. And so generosity is a very significant attribute of God. I think one of the reasons we may overlook it Is because we don't often think of it as an attribute. It's more of it's it's less it's less of something God is and does than how he does something. Generosity is often something that characterizes the way God does a certain thing. So we know that God saves us. We would all agree with that. But how does God save us? He saves us in a very generous way. God provides for us. But He doesn't just provide the scraps from His table. He provides us generously with what we need. And I could go on. The ways in which God reveals Himself to us can largely be characterized by that one word, and that is generosity. And we serve a generous God. And that is something that is very worth our attention. I want us all in here to know God as a generous God. He is good to us. He gives us what we need. He amply supplies to us what we ask of him as we ask according to his will. And so I want to go through some things today, and this by no means, unfortunately, will be able to exhaust our study of the generosity of God, but I wanted to point your attention to some uh, categories, right? Think categorically about the generosity of God, and in such a way that it reorients our hearts toward Him. We want to understand who God is. He has revealed us to, uh, revealed to us Himself from the pages of Scripture very clearly. And He would have us know Him and believe in Him as a God who is generous. And in some senses, over the top generous as we, as we get into this. So, yes, one day down the road, very soon, we will talk about giving and tithes and offerings. But I would not have us understand that apart from the generosity of God. It is the generosity of God that ultimately, I think, contours our understanding regarding tithes and offerings. If God is not generous, what reason do we have to be generous? Our only reason to be anything is found in the character and work of God himself. And so we start there. So it is thought that there are seven types of generosity. There are are seven ways in which generosity typically uh, expresses itself. That is thoughts, words, money, time, things, influence, and attention. And note how those categories are linked to what matters to people most. If you give your thoughts, words, money, time, and things, and influence, and attention to something or someone, then that something or someone is very important to you. And so think of how these things relate to God, just so we can begin to break this down categorically. We understand in scripture what is from what he reveals to us about himself, what God thinks about, right? We when, when God has has men, mere men, write down inspired scripture, God is revealing his mind to us. He is revealing to us what he thinks about a given subject. And along with that we have his words. We have the very written word of God passed down to us and preserved through time. So no one can claim ignorance. We know what God has said. Talk about money. God owns everything. We are merely stewards or managers of any of those resources that He chooses to give to us. But ultimately, God... I mean, forget about money. Forget about the dollar bill. Think Think of this on a cosmic level, that God owns and runs and stewards everything. And when it comes to money, when it comes to resources, God is immensely generous in all of those things. He generously gives us His thoughts. He generously gives us His words. He generously gives us, in some cases, cash. He gives us currency to steward. God gives us His time. Think about that. God is generous with His time. He is always present with us through His Holy Spirit, ministering to us, strengthening us, encouraging us. And this goes unabated. When it comes to things, objects, you think of all the things that God has mastery over, that He has created, and He gives those things to us richly. Talk about influence. We live in a day of influencers. Go on Facebook or Instagram. What's another one? Reddit. Any of those social media sites. You'll come up with these, against these people, and they're called influencers. And they're always in front of a camera. And yes, they have quite a bit of influence, but imagine the influence of God. And imagine the benevolence through by which God influences people. He influences us in a transforming way. God does not, in His grace, leave us as we are, but rather, as Romans 8 says, He conforms us to the image of His Son. His proximity to us cannot help but change us. It's One thing we talk about, we talk, we talk about that in terms of a Christian testimony. We testify concerning how God has changed our life. The influence he has on us. That is a type of generosity. And of course, attention. The six things we just mentioned are all a form of of attention that God gives us. God is attentive to us. You serve a God by whom nothing gets. Nothing gets by God. He notices everything. And this is a way of understanding His generosity. In fact, generosity is built into His very character. Listen to James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And one of the ways that that encourages us is that we see that when God gives these good things, there's a constancy to it. These good things come from Him. And so we never have to Be in a position where we doubt God's goodness and provision to us because it is built into His character. His generosity and goodness and grace is who God is. And in Him there is no variation or shifting shadow. God is not complacent. God is not fickle. He's not wishy-washy. He does not lie. He is always the same holy, righteous, good, and generous God. And what a tragedy it is for any Christian to miss that in his life or to second-guess that. We understand that God is wholly, perfectly generous. Now, I want to take us kind of through a, what the Bible has to say about this. Sort of, again, the categories we talk about when we think of God. And, I, and these, these are four of the more significant ones. So it's just four, just four points today, and hopefully we'll get through them. But I, I just want to—I want us to see the big picture regarding the generosity of God. That God is not one to skimp on things. So here's the first thing, and this one covers a, a vast array of our understanding of God's generosity. First of all, God's generosity is creational. We don't think often of God's creation as being something that is generous or in abundance. You know, we read the uh, opening verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, and we simply read this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So one sentence captures the majesty and grandeur of God's creative work, but then it breaks it down going on through from verse 2 to even the end of chapter 2, documenting the six days of creation, the seventh day of rest, and then going into a specific, more focused look on the creation of mankind and his quest and assignment to take dominion and fill the earth with abundance. Right? It's as if man is to mirror that generosity, the generosity of God's creation. But consider the whole creation narrative. What God creates. It almost seems over the top. You get you get so far in the narrative and it's almost at, it's almost you come to a point and you're like, now you're just showing off. Now, the Lord owns this universe and He has every right to show off, (laughs) to show His creative work, to, to, to to just show the, the, the infinitude of His creative work and His genius in His creation. I mean, God made the trees, right? He made dry land. And on, and on that dry land, we have trees. But God was not pleased to make merely one tree. There's 60,000 species of trees. That's a lot of different kinds of trees. There's billions of trees in this world. And God made them. There are 30 million insect species. When you finally break down the details, it's pretty amazing. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us what we need to know. But then you start actually unpacking the truth that is in those pages. And and, and God himself becomes so big and so present and so knowable. 30 million insect species, and that's not counting. I know they're not insects, but you know that there's 46,000 species of spiders. Now, from a human point of view, we wonder, what is the point of a spider? We typically are not inclined to trust anything in creation that has more than four legs. And yet, God saw it fit to have more species of spider than dog. There are 90 species of whale and 85 species of krill to feed those whales. The big one that blows us away typically are stars when we think even outside. I mean, the planet Earth, as detailed and majestic as it is, right? We think there's enough here to take a lifetime, many lifetimes of our attention, simply in observation and inquiry and study and amazement. And yet, it does not stop there. We have everything, the whole known universe, even outside of this tiny planet called Earth. In the Genesis narrative, we read, And he made the stars also. As if it's just a passing remark. By the way, he made the stars. And then you consider the size and the number and the variation main sequence stars, white dwarf stars, neutron stars, brown dwarf stars, red giants, red supergiants, and now we have red hypergiants. They keep finding bigger and bigger stars in a gigantic, unimaginably sized universe. According to the website Big Think, and I quote, the exact number of galaxies out there has been a mystery, with estimates rising from the thousands to the millions to the billions, all as telescope technology improved. If we made the most straightforward estimate using today's best technology, we'd state there are 170 billion galaxies in our universe. But we know more than that, and our modern estimate is even grander 2 trillion galaxies. Two trillion galaxies. That is two followed by 12 zeros. That is big. That is unimaginably big. And here we are on planet Earth, contained within one galaxy, the Milky Way. And the deeper they look into space, the more they discover about just the bigness of the universe. And he made the stars also. So much packed in that one statement. And yet, in all of our study, we have confirmed life on only one planet. I would love to say intelligent life on one planet, but sometimes we willfully get stupider and more ignorant by seeing the grandeur of creation in increasing detail. That creation is no longer simply telling us of the the glory of God. It's screaming from the mountaintop of the glory of God and His creative power, and His wondrous existence. He made the stars also. We read in Psalm 19, 1-3, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Now some translations actually say in verse 3, there is no, no speech nor are there words where their voice is not heard. As if to say, all of, all of the heavens tell of the glory of God. The, the, the voice is everywhere. There's nowhere in creation where it's not heard. And yet some would say, in spite of this pouring forth speech from day to day, in spite of this night after night revealing knowledge, their voice is not heard. That those who could hear it suppress that truth and unrighteousness and refuse to tremble at the majesty of God and bow the knee and give their hearts to Him in faith. And yet it, is un- it cannot be ignored. It cannot be put aside. Creation testifies to the glory of God and points toward the work of His hands ceaselessly. It's always there. It's always talking to us. And it is meant for us to glorify Him. What, what a privilege the Christian has having been brought to life by the hearing of the Gospel. Having that life sustained by the Holy Spirit that we can look at creation in a new and living way and praise the Lord for His creative work. So many miss out on that privilege by looking at creation. And then, they, and then somehow, we have the audacity to write in a book, now hear this. Everything you see in creation was once confined to a dot no bigger than the period on this page or at the end of this sentence. Now, I know I'm supposed to be nice, but that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. We believe that the Lord created the heavens and the earth and created man to serve Him because Scripture tells us. Because God has revealed Himself to us. As Christians, we can't not believe that. We can't not testify to that, there should be an amazement in the heart of man, especially the believer. Now, if you want to turn your attention to Psalm chapter 8, classic Psalm, let's start at verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers. All right, that's good. That's a good start. We see creation and then we start to think about it. The moon and the stars which you have ordained. And what's the first thing? What's the first response? What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. There's a perplexity at God's goodness and the the privilege and blessing that He gives us as image bearers and stewards in His creation. creation is so huge and this is before the days of the telescope when we could look deep into space and see all those galaxies and all those stars and all those nebulae and quasars and whatnot it's amazing and yet even then there is a perplexity in the heart of the psalmist which says considering all of this is creation it's so big and i am so small and insignificant and yet you think of me and care about me That is a person who understands that God is generous. He's generous in revealing Himself to man through His creation. Speaking something into being nearly indescribable in size. It's as if God was meaning to communicate something to us. But He is generous in His creation. And He would have us open our eyes and turn to Him and glorify Him as the Creator. As the one who speaks everything into being by his power and his power alone. Here's a second category to consider. Is that it is transformational. God is generous in a transformational way. You could even say a redemptive way. But I didn't want to simply limit it to a a moment of salvation. God is generous when it comes to the whole work of salvation. Not just His salvation of individual souls, but even His salvation of the church, His salvation of all of creation, and that reconciling work that God has done exceedingly abundantly all that we above all that we can ask or think. And that is plain in the pages of Scripture when we see how the writers of Scripture describe it. That God is generous in His saving, transformational, redemptive work. One of the best texts to help us understand this comes from Ephesians chapter 1 if you want to turn there. This is known as one of the largest if not the largest sentence that we have available from Koine Greek verses 3 through 14. It's like Paul is just spilling his guts. But Ephesians 1 verse 3, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So here is where Paul begins to describe the every. And this is by no means an, an exhaustive list. But what are some of these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ? He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. So you have God's generous purposes being described here by the Apostle Paul. He chose us for a particular purpose, that we would be holy and blameless. There's that transforming work. And then it goes on. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So there we we have that predestinating work. We have adoption, becoming Part of the family of God through Christ according to the kind intention of His will. See, we see God's kindness, but not kindness in a sort of passive way. This is kindness that is lavished upon us. Kindness given in abundance. Kindness that is hard to wrap our heads around. And yet God gives it to us. And He does this in love. According to the kind intention of His will. I love it when it says that because we ask when we, when we start to ask that question like the psalmist did in Psalm 8, what is man that you were mindful of Him? Well, God is mindful of Him because He wants to be. Because according to His own sovereign grace, that is what He desires to give us. And so He does. Rather than judgment, rather than wrath, rather than eternal separation in hell, He gives us His Son. And we know that if we have Christ, we have everything. That is the degree, that is the depth and, and breadth and width of God's generosity. If God has given us Jesus Christ and all that accompanies the Lord Jesus Christ, that is that is the extent to which God has been generous to us. Now going on. To the praise and glory, verse 6, to the praise and glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us in the beloved. The degree to which someone is generous depends all upon them freely giving that gift. Freely dispensing that gift. And so God does freely from His own benevolence. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Right? We have redemption. We have been bought back from the penalty of sin. The forgiveness of our trespasses. That is, the ways in which we have offended God that we have crossed the line and sinned against Him willfully or ignorantly That debt has been paid and God no longer holds it against us. And then he does this according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Now, according, in proportion to the riches of his grace. How big is the riches or are the riches of God's grace? Infinite. That's precisely why it's called eternal life. It's a qualitative statement that he's giving us, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, and things on earth. So there we go from an individual and church level to a cosmic level. That God is generous in saving his creation that all things will be summed up in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And then it goes on in verse 11 to describe this inheritance. And then he closes in verse 12 to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be too at the praise of his glory. And you just read all these blessings. It's like, wow, how how much how much can God give us? Right? How much can God give us before He's sick of it before he says, oh, I've given you enough, not giving you any more. And on the receiving end, how, how much can we take before we can't take any more? And yet God gives us the heart to desire more from him, more, more blessing, more abundance, more grace, because we realize that we depend on it. And we also realize as importantly, that God wants to be asked for things. He wants us to come to him humbly. And expectantly to ask Him for things, but we ask Him by faith according to His riches, the riches of His grace. Talk more about that later. But this is just a very abbreviated description of the generosity of God and His saving, transforming work from beginning to end. And note that this, that this gift, this generosity, is locked. It cannot be given back, it cannot be refunded, it cannot be robbed from us, because it is given, verse 14 says, as a pledge of our inheritance with the view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. It all ends in worship. God gives us, out of His own abundant love and grace, gives us generously everything we need, and then some. And our response is worship. Our response is praise. Our response is to acknowledge that God is glorious in His generosity. Think of like a really good buffet or a really delicious dinner. What's a sermon without talking about food? But that's kind of what we have in view here. Like you can't confine this all to one plate. you got to go back for more. It was suggested uh, by Katie that I buy her a smoker for her birthday. And being the sensible man that I am, bought her a smoker. And she's been smoking up a storm. Don't take that out of context. (laughs) And uh, a couple days ago, she smoked a brisket. And, I mean, it was it was a feast of all feasts. It was so good. And I had to keep going back for more and more and more because this was so delicious. And even after I was stuffed, it was like my eyeballs hurt. I had so much food in my belly. I had to go back for more because it was that good. And that's kind of, on a small scale, an illustration of what God's generosity is like. It's uncontainable. And you have to go back for more. And He wants you to come back for more. Because He would have you only be satisfied in Him. But to be satisfied in Him again and again and again. There's a great, there's a great passage on that that's come to my mind. Turn to Isaiah. The Gospel according to Isaiah. Isaiah 55 Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It's like you're going to offend God if you try to pay for this stuff. You are going to, uh, that's a slap in the face. If you think that you can bring your own resources to the table and purchase what God has to give you, that's an insult to Christ. That is undermining the work of the gospel. But he says, Be poor and come to me because I have everything, I am generous. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? See, the thing is, if you bring your resources, your own resources, you're not going to buy the real thing. You're only going to be able to buy the counterfeit and it's not just going to leave you unsatisfied. It's going to leave you sick. And so he says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. That is the salvation of our God. It is generous and it does its work to the uttermost. Our scripture reading this morning leads us to that same conclusion. In Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not not His benefits. Forget none of His benefits. And there's a lot of benefits when it comes to knowing the Lord. And He would have us deliberately meditate on those benefits to count them, to try to number them. Go ahead, good luck but that such is the goodness and generosity of God. He pardons our iniquities. There's the saving work. Heals our diseases. Redeems our life from the pit. Crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. Isn't that interesting? Note the transition. At one point, we were in a pit somewhere. We were in the mud with no way out. And then suddenly we're crowned with loving kindness and compassion. How did that happen? That's what makes it such good news. He completely reverses our situation. But He not only undoes it, He he adds to it. He blesses us generously out of His own good heart. He satisfies our years with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. And so He does this in a restorative way, transformational way, and He does it personally. We can recount as individuals and even as a church, God's provision. Listen to Psalm 84.11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. In this personal way, God reveals Himself to us. He's not just a generous God. He is the generous God in Scripture, making that generosity known to us most profoundly in the person and work of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And He gives us that grace and glory in Christ. And we say, wow, God has revealed quite a bit of Himself. He hasn't just given us hints. God has not dropped the breadcrumbs. He has brought us to His banqueting table. He has given us, most significantly, His Word. It's amazing how much we ignore this. It's amazing how much we do not read this. It's amazing how much we do not consult this or apply it. Here you have contained in the Scriptures knowledge unsearchable, wisdom unfathomable, grace irresistible, and life immeasurable. And so often do we throw this to the side and not think of it. But this is how God has given us personal, generous disclosure of Himself. It is here in the Scriptures that we discover that God is generous and kind and good and benevolent. Think about it too, but God is even personally generous to wicked men. That says something about the Lord. He's not only good to his people, he's good to people who do not even acknowledge them. He continues to give them breath and life. He allows them to experience good things, even while they don't acknowledge him. And we know our attitude toward them. Listen to Luke 6.35 from the the words of Jesus. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Later on down the road, we'll talk about how we are generous in light of God's generosity. And he says this, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. I mean, just, we, can, we could even look to Israel. They were wicked. They were ungrateful. It's like they always thought that God had something against them, that, they had it, that he had it out for them. Oh, praise the Lord. He brought us out of Egypt. He released us from slavery. And then you turn over a few pages, and then what happens? Oh, Moses, your, your God brought us out here that we would die in the wilderness. I mean the nerve, right? But we do it too. There's that temptation to to accuse God of ill motives, that He rescued us, that He brought us to a certain place, only to hand over to us an untimely and unkind demise. We know that temptation, especially when we experience prolonged seasons of things simply not going our way. But we have to remember that even in those seasons... We don't want to miss this. It is those kinds of seasons where we really understand, come to understand God's generosity. But He has not left us hanging. He has not let us out into the wilderness to die. But you do have to go through the wilderness to get to the promised land. There is, there is blessing and provision on the other side, even in the wilderness. Even though the Lord dealt daily with His presence, dwelling with ungrateful and evil men, He preserved them in the wilderness, even though they died there. Their provisions did not run out. They were not in want. And yet they accused him again and again that the Lord, he set us free, and now he's going to kill us. And don't miss the warning. They said that about the Lord and what happened. He killed them, they died in the wilderness. That's why we're warned, even even under the blessings of the new covenant. Don't fall into the same failures into which Israel fell. Don't accuse God of not being with His people. Don't accuse God of being stingy. Don't accuse God of being wicked. Know that God is good and generous and will get us through even the most difficult parts of life. And sometimes we have to learn that through going through them ourselves and then we can look back and say, wow, how God has sustained me. You know, imagine David on the run on the run from King Saul, and he was the the anointed king. He had the anointing, right? He was going to be king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And then suddenly, knowing those promises, knowing that the Lord had spoken to him, what is he doing? He's hiding in caves. He's running from a wicked, mad king. And you realize when we go through similar situations, most of us aren't going to be hiding out in caves, and they're not really plentiful from in Colorado. I guess we could all go to the Cave of the Winds or something. Some lame place like that. But, <laughs> but the main thing is, is that in spite of that, those circumstances, David knew his God. David drew near to God. Even complained to his God. Who he knew was with him. Who he knew would get him through what he was, what he was enduring. How much more then in Christ will God get us through the difficult Seasons that we endure. Right? He, did not, he who did not spare His Son but delivered Him over for us, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Paul is arguing from the greater to the lesser. If you have Christ, what are you so worried about? If God gave you His Son, if God put His Son to death to redeem you, what are we missing here? What's the problem? He will also freely give you all things because God is generous. And he's even kind to evil and ungrateful men and he's even kind to recalcitrant and cantankerous Christians who go through seasons of doubt and unbelief. Because we know it. We know that God is generous. We know he is gracious. Consider what Paul tells the Corinthians for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. That is his promise to us. We are rich because we have Christ. And this is continual. I will go on. This generosity is continual. It's creational, it's transformational, it's personal, and it's also continual. We do not see, we do not live as Christians and see brief spurts, great, you know, brief sparks of hope when it comes to the generosity of God. God is always. Generous to us it's a continual generosity i think this is characterized well in the book of psalms if you're not there already i said selected scriptures but psalm chapter 65 a wonderful psalm describing god's goodness toward his people and the call to worship it begins with the people gathering to zion to worship god to recount his goodness to them the forgiveness of sins how He causes us to dwell in His presence and the satisfaction that comes with that. But then if you read, read down in the psalm, it's the psalm, it says in verse 9, you visit the earth and cause it to overflow, you greatly enrich it. So we see in this, this, this continual generosity of God a sustaining presence. We may talk all day long about a sin-cursed world, but that is the point of the Gospel. One of the points is that the curse in Christ is reversed. And we are witnessing the restoration and reconciling of all creation to God. And so we can even look back at this psalm and view it in a more exalted fashion. That God sustains His creation. He is good to His creation. He greatly enriches it. Listen to this. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, some translations say corn, and thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly, you settle its ridges, you soften it with showers, you bless its growth. I mean, consider what the psalmist describes there. It's amazing that God is not a, distance, a distant watchmaker. He is attentive and near his creation, and he cares for it. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. See we read there? Abundance. 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 More than we can ask or think. The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout. There's creation's voice again. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. When uh, Charles Spurgeon has a great commentary on the book of Psalms and when he talks, he, he brings up the paths. And he talks about wagon tracks, and he contrasts the goodness and benevolence of God toward His people from like a, a, a an unbelieving conquering warrior. And he talks about the generals of old whose chariots of death left blood trails from their conquered enemies, and pointing us to the reality that when God's chariot rides by, it is goodness, it is grace, it is generosity. We even get a taste of that in the book of Ruth where, where it is written of God where He, he visited His people and, 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 and they were fed. And so Ruth and Naomi followed the tracks of that generosity. And look what happened. From Ruth and, and Boaz comes the line of the Messiah. Because they followed the tracks. They recognized God's generosity and goodness to His people and went where that goodness was. And we find that ultimately... At the cross, we find it ultimately in Christ. As Luther says of God, Thou art the right master cultivator who cultivates the land much more and much better than the farmer does. He does nothing more than break up the ground and plow and sow, and then he lets it lie. But God must always be attending to it with rain and heat. You think of that. You take that for granted. The rain... The sun, the fact that it's still shining. <laughs> and God ultimately gives the increase. But listen to what Luther concludes. But God must always be attending to it with rain and heat and must do everything to make it grow and prosper while the farmer lies at home and sleeps, resting his head, knowing that God will. Therefore, creation itself shouts for joy, it sings, it is a witness of God's abundant generosity. Now, we can conclude. A couple of verses to share with you here. Psalm thirty-one, nineteen: How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. This goodness of God, how great it is, right? How magnanimous it is. Second Corinthians nine, eleven: Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. See, the new with the advent of the new covenant and the writing of the New Testament, it did not in any way change the character of God. God remains generous, God remains good, God remains gracious, ready to bless his people. And he continues to do so. Remember what Colossians says regarding. The work of God. If you want to turn there, Colossians chapter one. One of my favorite passages in verse fifteen. It says, "He is the image of the invisible God," speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn, right? He is the preeminent over all creation. For by him all things were created, both heavens and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's amazing that not only is God generous to us, but He holds together by the Word of His power the very theater of that generosity. And we're able to witness it in full array and in its manifest glory. And He takes care of us. He gives us what we need. Listen to what Psalm 81 says. This is a good reproof for some of us. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. (laughs) Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Because if you go to another God, you will starve. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Out of my own goodness and abundance. We're also warned with... How to think of God's generosity? Listen to First Timothy 6:17: "Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy." So that's very key. As much as God blesses us, do not let the blessing be the idol. The blessing is meant to turn us to the one who gives the blessing. We worship God, not the thing that God has given. The thing is meant to turn our heart to Him and see Him as the source of all those good things. So that we may hope in Him and yet still understanding this is for me to enjoy as a good gift from God and to steward it appropriately. So with those four categories, I would like to, to, to end with some application. I have an application for the heart, I have an application for the lips, and I have an application for the hands. Okay? So a threefold application here. Here's the first. And again, we can't exhaust the generosity of God simply by talking about it in one sermon. But what we do want to know is that God is generous. And He's generous to all kinds of people. And He's generous in a, in a multitude of ways. Now that we know that as Christians, the first thing deals with the issues of the heart. And the first thing is this. Stop acting like God is stingy. Right? Stop acting like He's some kind of heavenly miser who's looking for a way to withhold good things from you. I mean, what is it going to take for the church to finally wake up and know in their heart of hearts that God is generous and not a miser. Especially, I mean, especially in our survey of these verses, how many times the word all was used, and riches is used, and that God wants to give us those good things. Matthew 7, 7-11, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Don't miss that. Verse 11, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? And I think sometimes we get so distracted during our day we don't think to ask God for anything. And if we do, it's almost a—it's—it's it's like in passing. We don't persist. We don't prevail upon God's character. And I will say this, Christians, be bold. And at the risk of going over the top, sometimes we need to go to the Lord and not take no for an answer. We prevail upon His grace. And we do so again and again and again because we know He hears us and we know that He wants to be asked for things. And I think, I believe it is a, a providential way that God tests our character, tests our resolve, tests our trust in Him, is that He would have us ask us, ask, ask Him again and again and again before He finally answers. And we must trust Him in the long term. But part of that is to repent from thinking of God as if He has nothing good to give us. He saved our soul, and that's where it ends. He saved, but, but, he, but he gives us so much more. He adds so much more to that. Listen to John 16, 33-34. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, He will give it to you. Asking in Jesus' name. Asking in the name of the King. The favored one, right? We ask God for things because we know that it is something that Jesus Himself would ask for. And if God delights in His Son as much as He does, how will He then refuse us if we come in the name of of the one in which He delights in the most. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. That connection between receiving God's generosity and joy cannot be understated. We are told from Psalm 37:4: delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Quit treating God like He's stingy. Pray big prayers. Ask Him for big things. Ask him for things that you would have, in your immaturity and doubt, never have thought to ask him for because you figured, oh, why would I do this? He'll surely say no. Why in the world would you think such a thing about God? Ask him for the big things. Ask him for the small things. Ask him for everything in between. But keep asking, keep seeking, keep, no- keep knocking. Knowing that God delights in you as his child and wants to give you the good things that you need. But prevail upon His grace. Prevail upon His generosity. Go to Him in faith. Without faith, Hebrews 11.6 says, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So seek away. So there's the heart. The lips. Have you praised God for the good things that He has given you? Have you acknowledged that this is all from God and no one else? One of my, again, one of my favorite passages in thinking about this. Psalm 116 says, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? Typically we think, how can I pay God back? How can I show I appreciate Him? But verse 13 says, I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So this is the time to repent from thinking that God is stingy and say, well, God has given me all this. He is good to me. He is generous. He has provided all of my needs. You know, I don't want to trouble Him again. Right? You ever do that to a person in your life? You know, I hate to ask for this. I hate to trouble you. I hate to call you at this late hour. I mean, come on. Don't do that to the Lord above all. Right? What is, what is, what what does the psalmist say our attitude should be? After we have received everything from God, go and ask Him for more. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. That's your attitude. Right? Without hesitation. Because the Lord wants to hear from you. The Lord wants you to draw near to Him and ask Him for things so that you may find Him to be all-sufficient and be content in Him. So don't go to Him and act like you are troubling Him. Right? It's called the throne of grace for a reason. Not the throne of sorry to bother you at this late hour. That's the lips. Praise the Lord and when He delivers, ask Him for more. With a believing heart. Finally, the hands. Important application. Listen carefully. God's generosity does not mean we are lazy. God's grace does not mean we are lazy. Instead, we ask for His wisdom and how to steward His generosity. Proverbs 10.4 says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. It was funny. I think it was yesterday. I had to go, I had to go finish a, a fence off of, uh, in the rock room and area. And I told Andrew I wanted him to come with me. So I come and build a fence. And you know what he said to me? He said, Dad, there's a lion in the street. <laughs> I shall be killed. Coming from the Proverbs. But I knew better. So anyway, that's the excuse that we make. How do, how, do we, how do we stay asleep when there is so much to steward? How do we stay asleep when there's so many resources that God has given us to exploit, take dominion, and build His kingdom as His instrument? And there's only one other alternative. Proverbs 18.9 He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. If you are not building the kingdom as the Holy Spirit empowers you and with God's generosity, you are tearing it down. There's no in-between. There's no neutrality. You're doing one or the other. Do not squander God's generosity to you. i leave you with this, with the parable of the talents found in the Gospels. When the Master gives His workers the talents, He gives... One talent to one servant, five talents to another, and ten, and then ten. So one, five, ten. We are not to look upon the, the one who was, who received one talent and think that, oh, God didn't give him that much. Do you realize that a talent was worth six thousand denarii? One denarius was a day's labor. So that translates into the master giving his servant six thousand days of labor to invest. I mean, you could live off of that while you invested. That's what makes him so wicked and lazy is because the the master provided everything he needed and then some. He could live off of it. He could be comfortable. And then he could strategically make wise investments to bring a return for his master and for the enlargement of his household. And so we take that kind of thinking into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think, okay, what has the Lord given me How can I exploit this? How can I subdue this so that the Lord is glorified? So that His kingdom expands? So that the gospel is proclaimed freely? How can I use the resources He's given me? One talent was a fortune. And the person to whom He gave the ten talents knew it. And He went and He made back ten more. That's what made it so wicked because the Lord, we think one talent, oh, that's stingy. He gave him so little. No, we gave him a lot and he simply sat on it and did nothing. Oh, I was afraid. I was afraid. You know, if the Lord has given you so much, if he has blessed you so much, if he is so generous and you are so amply supplied, the last thing, friends, that you should be that you should feel is fear. It should be joy, anticipation, diligence, earnestness, hard work, grit. And a love for God because He has given you so much. Your diligence should be proportionate to God's generosity. That's one of the lessons here. You gave me five, I got five back. I doubled it, right? Double it. Gave me ten, I, I, I invested it, got back ten more. Here you go. Not to sit on it because we're afraid of doing something wrong. We're afraid of messing up. Right? We are God's problem. Very much so. He cares for us. He supplies us everything we need and He will see us through. Even if if failures come every now and then, we are still called to obey God's commands and be righteous stewards of that which He has given to us. And He gives us these things out of His infinite resources, out of His own goodness, out of a well that never runs dry. That He is indeed our all in all. It's so important to think about generosity in that way and how it transforms us and how it applies to us. How we think of God, what we say about and to God, and how we work for God. We do so in light of His immense generosity. So don't squander it. Exploit it. Exploit it with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and watch Him come through. And anticipate how that generosity will impact and grow in every area of life. That will result once more in you raising your cup of salvation and calling upon the name of the Lord. That's the most important thing. Well, that's generosity, friends, and we will get into more uh, next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your generosity. We thank you that you uh, have given us out of your abundance. We thank you, Lord, that you own everything, you've created everything. And not only that you've done that, but that you are good that we should tremble if you were not a good god that we should hide if you were not generous but you are all of these things and more lord and you have you are generous to the point where you have given us you've made us a new creation you've given us eyes to see ears to hear a heart that understands and a mind that can think your thoughts after you and lord what how could we act so wickedly to squander all of these blessings And some of us out there may be doing just that. We've been immobile. We have not been wise. We have not been diligent. Maybe we've done the bare minimum, but we've never stepped out in faith to take the things that you have given us and see you, Lord, as you work through our hands, to see those things be multiplied and increased. All so that your name may be made great among the nations. So that all would flock to you, And praise your name and bow the knee and call you Lord and Savior. That is why we work. That is our response to your generosity and goodness. And I pray that our hearts could be refreshed by that very truth this morning. You are a generous God. You have not withheld from us any good thing that we need. And sometimes the only reason you do so is because we do not ask. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts of faith this morning to prevail upon your goodness, to ask for your blessing, not because of anything that we have done, but because you are a God who blesses us. You are a God who delights in us and who loves to bless and give us good, good things. And so I pray, God, that we would not have unbelieving hearts, but believing hearts and come and prevail upon you over and over and over again. We thank you, God. We thank you most of all for Your most generous and describable gift, and that is the Lord. We thank You for His death on the cross in our place where we deserved Your curse. But Christ became a curse for us so that we may inherit the blessing and be called sons of God. And in that, we greatly rejoice. Help us, God, to be generous to others and to work diligently. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.